Hey, Top Hat listeners, we're looking to get some sponsors for the show. So if you want to help us out, go to surveymonkey.com slash S slash Kissel. That's surveymonkey.com slash S slash Kissel. Fill out a quick survey. Really helps us out. Thank you very much. Now on with the show. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Uh, welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Ben Kissel, as always, joined by Marcus Parks. Today's guest, a political writer for the Daily News. Thank you so much for being here, Adam Adam Edelman. Thanks, Ben. It's I nailed that name. Actually, you're one of the only people who has consistently gotten it right. Other people say Edelman. Other people say mm-hmm. they slip into Edelweiss from Sound of Music. Uh. Uh, no, it's it's Edelman, and I appreciate it. Classic. Uh, we were discussing on the last episode how Benjamin Netanyahu, obviously, he came and spoke to our, our Congress. He's in the middle of a very heated uh, election right now in Israel. Isaac Herzog is the fellow that he's running against, and The Economist, of course, the very... A uh, well-respected uh, magazine came out and supported Netanyahu's opponent, Mr. Herzog, which was quite a shock to a lot of people. But, Adam, you've been covering this story for quite a long time. First of all, how offensive on a scale of 1 to 10 do you think it was wh- when Netanyahu came and spoke in front of our elected officials and they treated him as if he was uh, the second coming of Christ? Well, I think it's wildly offensive to us as Americans. I mean, this is unprecedented, which is kind of the buzzword, uh, you know, as it's been used in Washington. Right. Well, uh, why, why is it unprecedented? Why was this such a rare event that occurred pretty and relatively under the radar as far as people thinking of it as uh, out of the norm well historically we don't invite heads of state over within a couple of weeks of their election and we didn't invite him over john boehner invited him over they didn't tell the president and they kind of snuck around his back and put him in front of a joint session of congress the white house didn't know it was going on and when they found out they said well we're not even going to meet with you we want to avoid all appearances of us endorsing you in a very what's expected to be a very close election and that is the reason that heads of state tend not to be here four to five weeks outside of an election so the u.s doesn't look like we have a huge hand in who wins these elections in these different sovereign nations exactly and i think netanyahu knew he was in for a tight race and he thought that it would kind of give him you know the wings to fly above herzog you know Telling his uh, his constituents, well, you listen, I have the full backing of the United States. I yeah. can make a phone call and I'm in front of the Congress, which he essentially did. But uh, he certainly didn't anticipate the, uh, the blowback it created. Well, now I just have a vision of uh, beautiful Benjamin Netanyahu just cruising through the air as the as the <laughs> as the winds winds ascend him into the heavens. So you think uh, Netanyahu called Boehner? And asked him to do it, or do you think Boehner called Netanyahu? No, I mean, I think they have an ongoing relationship. I think they're Mm. both in the same court as both believing that the uh, ongoing talks in Iran are really dangerous. They both take somewhat of an existential view on it. You know, there's no middle ground between just talking with Iran about making sure this program is peaceful and their, you know, the region erupting into a nuclear holocaust. Mm -hmm. But, of course, there's a large middle ground, Fifty Shades of Grey, at least. Yeah. yeah, Right, right, yeah. Then that's another another image of Benjamin Netanyahu <laughs> I did not want. Fifty Shades of Grey. So who do you think looks worse in this situation domestically? Obama looks as if he was, uh, people were being mean to him. And he looks as if he was a bit of a victim in this situation. But uh, he also doesn't look as if he really took charge and uh, and took command of the Congress because... 
really, is there anything he could have done to stop this from happening? There's nothing he could have done. His hands were tied. And he did everything he could to be a non-player in the issue, kind of, you know, looking away, ignorance is bliss, I'm not a part of these shenanigans. Right. Um, I don't think Obama's terribly worried about, you know, being made a fool of. It's not the first time it's happened, and it's not, it won't be the last time. It will happen before he leaves office uh, in early 2017. You know, just earlier this week, Tom Cotton, a freshman senator yeah, right, from right. Arkansas, Tea Party guy, a couple of years in Congress, uh, you know, to his credit, uh, Iraq War veteran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, and a Harvard Law School graduate. And I'll tell but, you, you know that he's an Iraq War veteran because right. they, as soon as you call him unpatriotic for making, we were discussing uh, in depth on the last episode the open letter to Ayatollah Khomeini. As soon as you mentioned that, might be perceived as anti. Uh, anti-american he brings up that war record very quickly i mean it's unbelievable i mean this guy's been in this guy's been in the senate you know 60 less than 60 days is unprecedented it's one thing for you know bibi netanyahu to to make a fool the president you know i'm the i'm one of the longest serving prime ministers of one of your most important allies in historically Mm -hmm. volatile region it's a whole other story for congress you know congressman turned senator who's been in the chamber for 60 days to call out the president uh you know directly to the iranian regime well and this is what we were talking about before also just as far as the um the position of the presidency this tom cotton character 60 days in office like you were saying first term congressman um he's nothing compared to the president of the united states of america he's literally nothing why why do you think that we are currently in a time where somebody can just come to washington and the next day attempt to disrupt the institution that's been in place for hundreds of years that has been relatively efficient well, I mean, you could go in any number of directions with that. But what is it about Obama specifically, do you think, that they see? I mean, is he already a sitting duck? Is he just done? Are they just ignoring that there's a president at this point? I mean, I personally think it's because he's black. You do believe that? I do believe that. That's my opinion. You, know, you don't think that's just a kind of a blanket catch-all statement? Is there anything else that could be put in there? Or Well, you know, it's one of a number of things, but I, you know, I believe that, they be- I believe that uh, most Tea Party Republicans have a major problem with him. They claim it's because he's ultra liberal, which he's not. They claim because he's, um, you know, they don't. They're not sure of his Christianity, which he is. And uh, I think these are all veiled references to him, you know, being something, something other than what they are. Right. Right. I mean, it's very interesting because Obama really is not that liberal, especially when it comes to gun control and gun rights. There's been less. There's less gun regulation out there than there ever has been. And uh, there's actually a thing called the Obama gun bubble where everyone's going out and buying guns out of the fear that Obama's going to take them away. So ironically, Obama's been the biggest boom to the gun industry than any president we've ever had, simply because people think he's going to come and take them away at any given time. And at no point has that even come close to happening. Well, he's governed a lot differently than how he ran. Uh, Well, what can he do? I mean, how much, what what wiggle room does Obama have right now when it comes to dealing with with the baners of the world? Because this Republican Congress, they do not, they don't give him anything. They've given him absolutely nothing. Who's, who do you fault more? Because at this point, that is sort of one of the things with the administration. People who support him are just like, his hands have been completely tied. And people who don't say he doesn't know how to uh, play politics well enough to be, uh, to be a strong president. Well, I mean, the, I think the other thing here is that, uh, you know, it's not just about rice. It's not just about Obama. You know, it has a lot to do with the fact that the Republicans don't exactly have an agenda. And they took a risk in 2010, uh, at the midterms, you know, five years ago, to run just on an anti-Obamacare platform right and since then they haven't come up with any new ideas they said repeal and replace 
well, it was never replaced with anything. It was never even uh, repealed. You're talking about Obamacare, healthcare, all that. Right, but it kind of set the tone for this no, 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 no uh, Congress. Right. And they just still don't have a message. And I think they've actually uh, very successfully been able to run on an anti-Obama message. And they're just crossing their fingers that that'll hold out until 2016 when they can hopefully sweep someone from their own party into the president's office right. and uh, get some of their agenda through. Do you want to risk, if you demean the presidency so much, if you make Obama look to be such a small player in a uh, in a much larger world, do you run the risk of running on an anti-Obama campaign, but everyone being like, of course you beat Obama, nobody even cares? It doesn't matter. You beat somebody who was, uh, who, who was defenseless. I mean, I, I mean, if you, if you, if you break him down to the point where he no longer is perceived as having any power whatsoever and then you run a campaign against his policies do people even care is that going to be enough traction to uh, get you into the oval office if you n- if you don't actually have a message you're just uh, you know crapping on the next guy George W Bush had power mm-hmm. you know so when Obama ran it as an anti W everyone sort of saw there was there was a strong yin and a strong yang and it made a lot of sense is that traction going to hold for the Republicans? I mean, I'm inclined to, to agree with you and say, no, there's no way. But I was also one of the few people who said there's no way the Republicans are going to uh, leverage this into such huge gains in the midterms in November, in, uh, you know, last fall in 2014. And I was, uh, I was wrong. I was very right. wrong. They, uh, they left a historic, uh, major- a historic majority in the House. Right. And then they gained you know, upwards of, uh, I think it was six or seven seats. They have a majority in the Senate that could take another two or three election cycles for the Democrats to undo. It worked in 2014, and, um, you know, with a weak weakening, that is, candidate like Hillary Clinton for the Democrats with very uh, few other opportunities, I have to say that I think it's possible the Republicans uh, hold on and uh, leverage this in, leverage this anti-Obama thing into something productive for themselves in 2016. Well, they're getting a lot of bad press now because they sent that letter out to Netanyahu, the open letter we were talking about at the 47 senator, signed it, big time names. That completely backfired on the Republicans. And now they're sort of reeling from that. This Tom Cotton guy, like you mentioned earlier, is the, the orchestrator of her. He's still standing by it. And I guess for his own political purposes, he got his name in the news and Tom Cotton wasn't going to get in the news unless he robbed a bank otherwise. Mm. Um, so he definitely has, uh, achieved fame, I suppose. He made a splash. He did exactly what they put him there to do, which is to say the Tea Party stands for something. There are smart mm-hmm. Tea Partiers. We, uh, we can get things done. We can hold the president and the international community hostage if we so want right. to. But you say he made a splash, and there's a lot of Republicans splashing around. You hear, these na- you hear a lot of Republican names, and you only hear one Democratic name, that is Hillary Clinton. Is Hillary fatigue already setting in, number one? Number two, is this email thing that she has going on right now, which in my opinion, this is the, this is the least sexy scandal a Clinton has ever had, and I'm upset. <laughs> I, wa- I wanna, If it's a scandal and the Clintons are involved, I want uh, cigars and I want um, some kind of intercourse to be at play. Yeah, yeah, this is Hillary Clinton saying, it's like, well, it was just personally. Her, her right. scandal is all about bridesmaids' dresses mm-hmm. and yoga, yoga routines. Yeah, yoga yeah. routines. Oh, yeah. 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 What's the difference between Bill and Hillary? You know, <laughs> One scandal involved a dress and right. another one, one guy's involved. Doing doggy style, the other one's doing downward dog. Exactly. (laughs) 
Exactly. So do you think the Democrats run a risk here of uh, of people already being sick of Hillary and now we're just drudging up this, this email thing is just so absurd. But what are your thoughts on it? I think I think Hillary's in serious trouble. And I agree with you. This is a very unsexy scandal. Yeah. In fact, she uh, it appears that she hasn't done anything wrong. It's unsavory. It's unsightly. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're in about to be in a major public office like the presidency, you don't want to go and delete emails without running them by anyone except your own lawyers, which are all Already ta- who are already tainted. Right. No, okay, so it's 30,000 emails. What she gave over uh, quite a few emails. What was it, 150,000 or yeah, something like that? At least that many. at least that many she already gave over to the four, State Department. Okay, so four years in office. You, you work at the Daily News. You have a job where you receive emails on a daily basis. Four years as Secretary of State. 30,000 emails being deleted. How many emails do you think she gets a day? And then you compound that with the year and then the four years. Is 30,000 emails even that many? I get... I get 15 emails from Papa John's alone every single week. And Zappos, Zappos is coming after me. And then Credit uh, Capital One wants their money, but they're not getting it. I mean, I delete on average at least 200 emails a week, and I'm not Secretary of State. Right. Well, 100 a day would put you at 30, uh, a little bit of under 36,000 for the okay. year. Um, and this is over four years. And this is over four years. So it's, it's not that many. Right. But these are the Clintons. And they don't have the best record of transparency. Mm. This is a, a couple, a power couple, an incredible power couple who's done incredible things for the country, but they've been caught. Uh, they've been caught with their pants down literally and figuratively before. I mean, it's very possible as far as Hillary fatigue goes that this scandal is orchestrated to be boring. It is not, like you said, it's not a sexy scandal at all. And if you really want to make people sick of hearing about Hillary, give them some really stale meat. Give them something really boring to chew on. I mean, this is stale. It's real stale. It's stale and it's smelly. But the thing is, is that uh, people have been chewing on it. They chewed exactly. on it for a week before she responded, mm. which is uh, very uh, uncharacteristic of a Clinton machine. You know, yeah. usually you got this rapid, uh, rapid response center. Mm. I read somewhere, in fact, uh, you know, on the hill.com that it was uh, Clinton's uh, campaign machine that actually created the term cam- you know, rapid response machine. This is a woman who is uh, imminently going to be are uh, the Democratic nominee, if not the President of the United States. She's decided to launch her campaign later this time around, as opposed to uh, so early, which she did in 2012. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, in 2008. Um, But she's overcorrected herself. And in waiting so long and saying, well, I'm not a candidate, so I shouldn't be held to such a high bar of scrutiny. Right. that's 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 really not a fair assessment for her to have made of herself. You are still held to a really high bar of scrutiny. We all know that you're running. You know that you're running. Launch the damn campaign already so you can respond to these stale accusations that are slowly but surely eating away at your prospects of becoming the next president. Yeah, they're definitely eating away these uh, Trey Gowdies of the world. We've discussed him on previous shows, the piranhas out there trying to uh, nibble on the corpse of the Clintons. Does this help? I mean, there's a a large argument that was uh, made in 2010 when the Republicans... Um, you know, dominated, and obviously in 2014, they are saying uh, that Obama has m- maintained a neutral stance on Hillary Clinton's uh, when you know run for the presidency. I think he's still a little bit upset because Bill was really racist when he went down to South Carolina in 2008, and uh, so he's pretty much just sort of put his hands up and said whatever happens, happens. But that is basically saying he doesn't support her for the presidency. Is there um, any correlation between? 
that and Obama not campaigning for the Democrats in 2014. There's a there's a rumor out there that the Clinton or the Clinton machine told um, a lot of Democratic leaders, a lot of congressmen and senators, not to have Obama come and campaign for them on the uh, on the trail because he was very toxic. Yeah, I mean, heard- what do you think is the beef between the Clintons and the Obamas? What are they fighting for? Boy, I mean, where to start? I think that they've they've helped each other a great deal. It's a marriage of convenience. But when it comes down to it, Hillary and Bill were furious that Obama became anointed the president in 2008 when Hillary, uh, you know, or so she thought, had earned it. Right. Um, and I think Obama was, you know, secretly mad at her for that, that, very same, that very same sense of entitlement. You know, you haven't done anything that I haven't done. You were a senator for a few years mm-hmm. and you were married to a good president. But, uh, you know, what have you done for me lately? I'm here to inspire Right. And you're here to inspire fear. I mean, but now obviously they're looking, because the Clintons have been the face of the Democratic Party for going on, what, 30 years now. They've sort of, they have, um, they've sort of created the dialogue that Democrats have used to get elected. And now obviously the Obamas are going to be taking on that role of the leadership position once he gets out of office for the Democratic Party. Do you think, where, where are they different I mean, is Obama concerned if Hillary gets into office, she's going to dismantle all of his liberal agendas and all of his liberal foreign policy? I mean, as much as you can associate these two schools of modern democratic politics, they are very, very different in what they preach. You know, the uh, Obama campaigned on a message of hope on a campaign that was really heavy in rhetoric. Bill Clinton had some very, very specific centrist ideas of how to govern. Triangulation is what they eventually called it, which isn't very flattering. But he essentially grew into a uh, tax cutting, uh, a tax cutting, uh, uh, limited spending Democrat who was actually quite conservative on social issues during his time in presidency. He catered a lot to the right of center uh, majorities in Congress and he worked with them whether you know what regardless of what he truly believed and what he got done his legacy was a slightly left of center uh, booming economy and um, a fairly conservative social legacy that uh, Obama has completely undone and somewhat vilified him for in the process what were some of the more conservative things that Bill Clinton did other than the cigar Right. I mean, we all, that's a very that's a very Rush Limbaugh way to procreate. Well, he signed the Defense of Marriage Act, which uh, right. is a really really big deal. You know, I, I don't think he probably believed that in his heart, but I think he was a deal maker, and that's what he gave the Republicans in return for them passing parts of his agenda that he very much wanted passed. Um, and well, and that played into "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" as exactly, well, right? So he sort same. of towed the middle ground when it came to gay rights. But we forget how far the gay rights movement has uh, has come and how much. Uh, you know how many victories they have under their belt in the 90s it was a huge deal the idea of gay marriage was uh was way out there to the left no absolutely absolutely but you know clinton has the has the benefit of time here and he's inspired a new generation of uh, politician who are all kind of governing in the mold of himself you know you got right. andrew cuomo even bill de blasio which isn't he's not exactly like the prototype of a clintonian democrat but he worked for clinton you got people yeah. all over the country on different levels of government um it's hard to imagine that uh, obama's going to have a similar effect 30 years down the line he's going to have inspired a lot of people our age to have mm-hmm. gotten into government but you're not going to see a whole lot of people doing you know uh, significant things on a state and federal level 
Um, but so you, know, you don't think that Obama is going to have a similar uh, post presidency life that that Bill has had? I don't think he wants it. I right. don't think he wants it. I mean, I, I think uh, I think he'll be happy to have the legacy of Obamacare, and he'll happy he'll be happy to have had the legacy of bringing up. Um, you know, gay rights with his personal evolution. Well, with Joe Biden making a gaffe, <laughs> right. this whole thing with somebody slipped on a banana fe- uh, on a banana uh, peel and then gay marriage was uh, made legal, pretty much. Right. I think uh, I think Barack Obama would be happy to uh, either hide away into uh, you know a life of writing in Palm Springs. Or, you know, to somehow kind of uh, come out 20 years later as being a Supreme Court justice. He's a constitutional law scholar mm-hmm. at heart. He's not a politician at heart. He sees himself as above the fray, which uh, hasn't worked for him. It hasn't been a good look. Right. It's part of the reason people see him as aloof. It's part of the reason he gets kind of run. You know, he gets run over by people like Netanyahu and people like Tom right. Cotton. They say, well, we didn't see it coming it's because you've had your head in the clouds for a couple of years. And I know your heart was in the right place when you decided to put it up there. But in the meantime, people have been running all over you, and you've right. got to get down and dirty. Clintons love getting down and dirty. Right, right. Hillary looked pissed at that press conference last week, but I'm sure she cannot wait to get back in the trenches when she has the power to do so. Right. I mean, that's the thing with Obama. They say he's in his uh, in his ivory tower. He's got much more of a professorial point of view, and that's the way he relates to people. That's why a lot of people think he's uh, extremely elitist. But, of course, Bill, who is actually probably more elitist, um, in all actuality, comes across like a good Southern gentleman who just hangs out with pedophiles every now and again, <laughs> Mr. Jeffrey Epstein. Is Bill the, um, is he going to be a help or a hurt for Hillary? Uh, you know, obviously we've talked about this a lot before on the show. If Bill Clinton was running with those same scandals he had in 91, he would never have gotten through a primary. He's really sort of a Bill Cosby type. If you go through allegations of sexual assault, there are so many um, we don't even the ones that we know about are absolutely atrocious. So we can't even imagine what we don't know about. The man's obviously been a huge sex fiend for many years, and then he had a heart attack, and then his dick had to stop working so he could continue to live. Um, do you think that he is going to be more of a hindrance to Hillary than a help? I mean, this story has been happening. I feel like this conversation has been happening for the last going on. It will be going on sixteen years. I mean, all it takes is a new Drudge headline that says, you know, air fuck one part do, which is, <laughs> right. you know, exactly. Kind of, yeah. I mean, that's all it takes. So it, it's, you know, you'd ha- I think you'd have to be a fool to think that this is uh, this is done. And just because, you know, he can't get it up anymore because of his veganism or whatever, which I'm sure isn't true. <laughs> I'm sure I not. mean, I was a vegan for a couple of months and you know, everything, was, everything was fine. Everything mm. was fine. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I think you'd be, think you'd have, be hard pressed to think that that's going to be smooth sailing for them, uh, whether it's rumors or whether it's uh, true stories. They're going to pop up and they're going to disrupt this campaign. What right. about the rumor that uh, Valerie Jarrett was the one that leaked the email story? So I, the, the, I, I have a certain distaste for the person who wrote those rumors. Mm. Uh, his name is Ed Klein, and he uh, he's kind of a, a writer on retainer for our nemesis, the New York Post. Um, he's written a number of books that have been widely discredited. Um, I would love to you know indulge in the you know the most salacious stuff, but I can't, well, yeah, I wrote, can't get behind a good Klein story. I can't. Yeah, he wrote Blood Feud: The Clintons versus the Obamas. Right. He has a very vested interest like in the Clinton Obama <laughs> yeah. war or right. s- supposed war. Right. Well, his vested his vested interest is that these books sell incredibly, mm-hmm. and he uses mouthpiece like the New York Post to 
you know get get these rumors off the ground. But regardless, if the rumors are true, if the or if the rumors aren't, I mean, Carl Rove was the king of it when he sent the whisper campaign that Ann Richards was a lesbian in mm-hmm. Texas. That was that was it. I don't know where where all those flyers at churches came from. As he uh, throws a bunch of flyers in the garbage, so nobody knows that they're all in. Uh, coming from his own backpack. Um, even if these rumors aren't true with Valerie Jarrett, it does play into the larger point that there is a fracture in the Democratic Party. Who do you think is more fractured, the right or the left at this point? The right seems desperate to find the person who is going to be their new voice, Marco Rubio. I believe it's because he did not sign on to the uh, open letter to Ayatollah Khomeini. Mm-hmm. He's getting a little bit of heat right now because people think that that was a smart decision to not look like a total ass. Now, I've got a question about Tom Cotton in that letter. Why did 47 Republicans, high-ranking Republicans, follow this freshman senator on this? You know, I've heard a couple of different theories. One is that, you know, and they always say this, no one thought it would get the publicity it did. How uh, wouldn't that get the publicity? I know, but apparently... They it, broke the internet. It, it was being... <laughs> they were, this is bigger than Kim Kardashian's ass. Was, another, another outlet said it was being circulated, uh, you know, two weeks ago. Uh, a week or so ago on the evening of a big uh, Washington, D.C. snowstorm. Mm-hmm. No one, as is the case with, you know, uh, in multiple instances of big pieces of legislation, like perhaps the Patriot Act, no one wanted to bother to read the damn thing. Right, right. Just had an aide sign it for them with their approved signature and say, I'm, you know, I'm hitting the beltway. I'm getting out of here. Um, so but you think that the case was the people just blindly signed? I think that's most, I mean, I think that's what they're saying now, but I think when it comes down to it, people knew the gist of it. People signed it, and they would say, I would rather at this point be aligned with a Tea Party senator than I would with Barack Obama, because the Tea Party has much greater potential to ruin my career than the Democrats do. It's a terrifying notion that these guys are just willy-nilly, dare I say it, willy-nilly, signing their name to random documents that is going to go over to one of our mortal uh, mortal enemies. I mean, it's it's chock full of irony. The fact that, you know, you can't win when you're Barack Obama. They dissed him for opening up dialogue at all with these guys. And now they said, well, your dialogue sucks. We're going to, you know, we're going to jump over your head. We're going to have a dialogue. We're going to say, you can't trust this guy. You have to negotiate with 535 of us. We shut down the government. We'll shut him down, too. You know, come come talk with us. It's it's whatever whatever power they can grab out of any situation. They will. And, uh, you know, to your earlier question, who's fractured more? I have to say the Republicans are. Shenanigan like this. They've got three factions that you know Reagan successfully married into one party that have just become you know undone at the seams the democrats you know they've got uh, they've got like really liberal people and mm-hmm. like kind of liberal people but like the good thing about liberal people is that like they're willing to hear other points of view or you know republicans uh, it does seem to me the republicans have more people that are possible that could possibly catch fire than the Democrats, though. I don't think Elizabeth Warren really has a chance because if people think Barack Obama was too liberal for this country, Elizabeth Warren has openly said as soon as she's in office, the government's going to come and take your guns, which is like a true quote. <laughs> Again, it probably won't happen because when you get in office, I don't, they have some meeting mm-hmm. where everyone's opinions about gun control seems to change. Um, so who knows if she would actually do that? But her rhetoric is much more to the left. In the Republican Party, what narrative do you think they would have to... I know you're a bit more of a left-leaning guy, but let's just say you're you're a Republican uh, and you're looking at these guys in the primary. What narrative do you think is going to be more victorious? You have Jeb Bush, 
who is going to come in as the uh, as the new guy in town, which is just so ironic. He said, I am not my brother. I am not my father. He hired the exact same staff, and your staff is pretty much the membrane of your entire organization. So you are, you know, what, you know, Krang isn't just a machine, Krang's the brain. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Bush machine uh, has the exact same brain that it's always had throughout the, uh, without the three Bush administrations within him. Or then you have someone like a, um, Someone like a Marco Rubio, who's coming in from you know a much more conservative, you know, first generation, um, very very uh, Tea Party esque. And then what is the third one? I guess you're more libertarian, like sort of a Rand Paul type. Sure. Which one of those is going to uh, going to get more positive press through a Republican primary than uh, than than not? Because I mean, Jeb is already hated by a lot of these people, right? Well, and don't forget about Scott Walker, who's from the great state of oh, Wisconsin. We forget about him. Well, it's easy to forget about him. You, you and I, we're both from Wisconsin. You right. Know, it's our duty to forget about him. <laughs> but um, we have to. <laughs> I don't know what happens in Wisconsin. The people are so nice, and then we have folks like Tommy Thompson and Scott Walker. Our governor's notoriously douchey, but whatever. I mean, Jim Doyle was no saint either. He was kind of a douchebag too we just don't have a good record for putting good governors out there you know i think it's going to be one of these interesting things i think you know i think they've uh, the the rnc chairman he said you know we don't want to have happen this time what happened last time this is reince priebus Priebus we want fewer who is also from wisconsin is he former uh, wisconsin uh, wisconsin republican party chairman who was elevated to the national party chairman because he is uh he took credit for the uh, burgeoning careers of paul ryan scott walker and uh, Ron Johnson over Russ Feingold in 2010. Wow, okay. Um, so, yeah, they've got, they've got a real monopoly on Wisconsin politics. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, they th- Ryan came in with the idea we're going to have less debates, fewer debates. Uh, only, only on Fox News. Only on Fox which is News. Ab- absurd. You know, I think the quote was, we're not going to have some goofball asking about what you think about teen, um, birth control. You know, I think he said something, <laughs> Who, what Republican do I know cares about birth control? Right. We're talking about guns and we're talking about taxes. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, a lot of people in this country care about birth control because you're trying to take it away from a lot of people. Um, but I think I think what you're going to see is Scott Walker runs away with uh, you know the enthusiasm and the popular support, and then just runs out of money. I'd be oh, okay. shocked if Jeb, if the you know the establishment elite don't find a way to get him the nomination. But it's going to be the message, as you hinted at, of Rubio and of Walker, kind of the young guns, the new kids on the block, mm-hmm. the true Tea Party guys, who I think really capture the spirit of the party. I'm sure you'll see either one of those guys on the ticket. So if it's uh, Clinton Bush on the ticket, is anybody <laughs> voting? Is Does anybody care anymore? Is the whole system broken if it's another Bush-Clinton ticket? I mean, I love... I have so... F- I mean, I just turned 30 in November, and... Uh, I have so, f- you know, we're of an age where you, you can actually, you could date people who were born in 1991. Right. I have a steady girlfriend, make no mistake about it, I love her very much. Um, but, you know, you can date a child who was born in the 90s, and it's crazy to think about that because you have so few things in common with this person. Right, right. But in 2016, you both know the same two fucking politicians, mm-hmm. the Clintons and the Bushes. And to, mm-hmm. for that to be like the only common denominator in Tinder profiles across the country, <laughs> I think is hilarious. Right, right. I mean, what, you know, are you a Bush or you a Clinton? You know, one person, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a George. Oh, I'm a Jeb. Oh, I'm with Bill. I'm with, I'm Hil- I'm with Hillary. I mean, it's, uh, it's outrageous. I can't believe uh, we've gravitated towards, you know, uh, uh, 
a, a dynastic system. I really, it's been 200 plus years since we had, you know, dynasties like this. Well, we had those, uh, the Adams, right? The Adams. Yeah. John, yeah. John Adam and John Quincy Adams. And yeah, the Roosevelt's, they were, but they were yeah. cousins. I mean, they were like distant cousins, I right, guess. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it was 2014 was the lowest voter turnout in 70 years. And I would assume if Bush and Clinton are on the ticket again, we're going to see a very, very similar theme with people feeling as if uh, their opinions no longer matter because they're not voting for anybody who isn't already, uh, you know, been in charge and who isn't already establishment. Is it more difficult now than it ever has been to break through the fray? Jimmy Carter was the worst president in U.S. history. He was terrible. We, We both love peanuts. We bond over that. Um, and he did some great meditating. Um, that's according to his uh, PBS. He built a lot of houses. He too. built a lot of houses, and he's a great post-president. I think he's done some wonderful things. But he came out of nowhere to win Definitely. in 76. Can we have another Jimmy Carter only in the, uh, you know, when I say that in the in the vein of somebody coming from nowhere and actually achieving the highest office in the country? I mean, two weeks ago I would have said you're crazy. That Absolutely not. But uh, with this email scandal, like it's such a white bread scandal for it to have gotten the legs it has. Um, Isn't that proof that there's nothing else, though? Don't we? I mean, how much more vetted do these Clintons have to be? Well, it's the next thing that keeps Benghazi alive. Right, 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 right. right, right. I mean, Martin O'Malley is going to make some noise, but uh, you know, he's going to have to have a really loud megaphone if he wants to be the next Jimmy Carter. If he even wants to be the next Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton also came out of nowhere in 1992. Martin yep. O'Malley, Martin O'Malley, former I think, governor of Massachusetts, right? Uh, Maryland, Maryland. But yeah, he's, uh, you know, Warren isn't going to run. Jim Webb has these incredible romance novels under his sleeve. I don't know if you're familiar. No, with this, but uh, you know, he was a former uh, former Vietnam veteran and then a former uh, Secretary of the Navy under Reagan. Okay, and then after that, he ran, he he wrote a whole bunch of New York Times best selling uh, historical fiction novels about war, and there are some very racy sex scenes. Oh wow! Uh, in these books, and I think that that in and of itself is going to get him off. You know, that him. hurts him. I think I would love him. to have a nice romance. Author right. in there. I mean, if he goes on Jimmy Fallon and then he performs these, you know, in front of an audience, right. I think maybe okay, this if, guy's likable. If he owns it, and, he, right? And not huh. to mention, I mean, every State of the Union in the middle of it, it would just get nice and saucy. <laughs> I would love that. No, no, these got these are some great titles: uh, Fields of Fire, ooh, ooh, the Emperor's General, <laughs> oh, the Emperor's General. My goodness, um, I you know I, I don't think I don't think he's going to make a whole lot of noise. Um, I think you're going to see O'Malley. I think, you know, maybe, maybe Hansy Joe Biden gets in the race at some point. Right. I, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of people getting here. I mean, what about this Mark Warner guy who I I'm mean, quite a fan ben of? Ben loves Mark Warner. Yeah. I think a lot of Democrats like Mark Warner. Um, he could. I mean, he's one. Of oh, yeah. Guys. The head. Yes. Mar- <laughs> Marcus doesn't like his head. For some, I think he's a very handsome gentleman, and he was for the Keystone Pipeline. Forceps, baby, I'm telling you. <laughs> right. I'm standing by the forceps. Oh, right. I mean, I think it's going to take another, like a really big Clinton scandal to get that kind of a tier of candidate in the race. If something else comes out that really knocks a Clinton camp on their feet, I think you'll see maybe like Warner jump in. You'll see maybe someone like Deval Patrick, who is set, the former governor of Massachusetts, who said he wants to run, but not in 2016. Someone like him might jump in. I mean, maybe Jerry Brown, who ran for president, I think, in the 70s, the governor of California. Right. So, I mean, you're going to have a lot of goofballs come in to the race, just like you saw with the Republicans in 2004, uh, the Democrats in 2004. But that's almost good, right? You want 
want more people in the race, theoretically. Yeah, I, I mean, at the best-case scenario, it makes Hillary look much better and more presidential. Worst-case scenario, for the Clintons, we actually get a Democratic candidate that might be more charismatic. I think the worst thing that Hillary could have happened to her would be to be anointed the candidacy and, not, and have a completely empty primary. But uh, even worse than that uh, would be that she has a competitive primary as a result of a scandal. I think she hopes for the sweet spot and right. that a couple of people jump into the race to strengthen her and give themselves a little bit of more national exposure. Mm-hmm. She ends up on top. They end up with a better national profile. She gets presidency 2016, and they're all better suited for 2024. Right. So let's see. So let's just uh, you know move on from local here and go over. What do you think the foreign policy is going to look like? What do you think the world is going to look like for the next president? If Benjamin Netanyahu does end up uh, beating this Herzog character, you spoke uh, before the uh, before the podcast. You said recently he came out and just blatantly said Netanyahu. That is blatantly said that he was going to eradicate Palestine. Yeah, he just said I'm going. He said I'm going to kill a another piece of long-standing U.S. policy, the first being that you can't have as heads of state here a couple weeks within their election. And I'm just going to say, you know, screw it. We're just going to have one state and it's going to be us. He said that today, less than 24 hours before the election, um, clearly a last-ditch attempt to cater to his uh, hardline base. Why isn't that more covered in, uh, in the news, right? Because, I mean, he literally said that he was going to exterminate, for the most part, a group of people. This is the exact same thing that the Ayatollah says when discussing Israel. Are they just really dramatic? I mean, <laughs> I, mean, do they, I mean, do they really believe that they're just going to eradicate an entire country, another race of people? I just think, you know, it's one thing to pander. It's one thing to pander, you know, to the poor and to say, well, I'm going to give you these benefits. And it's another thing to pander to on the issue of genocide. Right. You can't just you can't do that. And I think I think um, unfortunately, I think a person like Netanyahu, this is my personal opinion, is, you know, quite colorblind on an issue like this. Been living in a bubble long enough of, uh, among uh, conservative hardliners. He doesn't understand how offensive a thing that is to say. And but I do think- we even understand how offensive a thing that is to say? Because no one seems to be calling him. I guess the term would be Islamophobic in this case, or a, uh, dare I say, war pig? Yeah. <laughs> can I just can I quote Ozzy Let's Osbourne? He, he might be one of the I'm war pigs putting it out on there. Tw- it's trending on Twitter. We're going to make a trend on Twitter right Boom. now. Boom. I mean, is this a, an example of uh, criticism of Israel and any ki- of any kind equals anti-Semitism? I mean, um, we'll find out tomorrow. We'll, no. we'll ultimately find out tomorrow how the state of Israel as a whole views this kind of rhetoric. Right. Um, I would personally be very, very discouraged if he wins, if, if that kind of a statement catapulted him to victory. Do you know about the economy of Israel right now? I've heard that it's struggling, and this is sort of one of the reasons, obviously, Netanyahu's campaign didn't really resonate, because people are hungry, and they don't necessarily have the uh, the tummies full enough to go fight. I know just a little bit about it. I know uh, I know it's in tough times. I know Herzog campaigned largely, not only on, uh, you know, it, uh, Interacting with the international community, but also improving the economy. I know there's been a number of teacher strikes. I know that things are over there are not so great. Right. Who is the most dangerous president that could be elected in the United States? Who is a person that if you think they are elected, we are guaranteed boots on the ground. We're guaranteed another long standing war, whether it be, you know, with Russia and what's happening in the Ukraine or, you know, with what obviously what's happening with with Syria, ISIS, and Iran? Uh, Ted Cruz, without a doubt. Ted I Cruz is the scariest. scariest guy in American politics in our that? generation. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of... We've heard a lot of, about scary people from the past. This guy is the scary guy of our present. I mean, he's terrifying. I saw him at CPAC a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. I mean, he is just 
the worst. Well, okay, so what was he? I mean, obviously CPAC. That is the uh, conservative what, political action conference. That is correct, and it is the coolest conference of all time. It would. It's my Burning Man. I would love to go and just look at all the stickers and the buttons, and it looks like there's some hot chicks there as well. Um, <laughs> what was the mood of CPAC? That is the core. That is the heart of the Republican Party. Was it a was it a war hungry mood? Was it? Um, did they want a more tenacious foreign policy? Do they want to focus on domestic? Do they have more of a Rand Paul approach to? Uh, you know, hands off, more libertarian, um, small uh, world footprint. Well, I'll, t- I'll share. Uh, I'll share three anecdotes. Jeb Bush was booed off the stage. I mean, he he didn't really? leave the stage, but he was booed several times before he left the stage. What was what were the uh, the triggers for the boos? The immigration. He he okay. he's he's unabashedly in favor of immigration reform. He's right. not apologizing. He's decided to be a centrist in that regard with this particular issue. I like that. And, uh, I I can appreciate even as a as a liberal guy that uh, he's sticking to his guns and not pandering to the right. The second thing was that uh, there was wild applause uh, for like very conservative social things from Scott Walker and very conservative um, military things from Ted Cruz. And of course, this is the Scott Walker. Uh, this is when he gave the speech talking about how he can fight ISIS because he fought unions in uh, in Wisconsin, which is one of the most atrocious things that anyone's ever said. And uh, we talked about it at length, so we won't go into that. But that was, a, in my opinion, that is a Scott Walker gaffe. I mean, I mean yeah, let's just compare union guys to, to ISIS, to beheading monsters. Right. Um, but the third thing, the most, you know, I, I think to me, someone who covers politics, I still don't quite get it, is that Rand Paul won the straw poll that concludes the conference. Right. He won it for the second year in a row. Now, on the surface, it makes a lot of sense. This guy's like a Tea Party hero. He's a smart guy. He's in favor of liberty. But he's a libertarian. Mm-hmm. And his foreign policy uh, proposals reflect that. He's actually a non-interventionist, which uh, contradicts a lot of the red meat guys at that conference. He doesn't want us involved in Afghanistan. Mm. He doesn't want us taking on ISIS. He says, you know, let's take care of things at home. And by taking care of things at home, I mean, like, just chilling the fuck out. You do what you want to do. Right. We do what we want to do. Live and uh, what's it? The, the, live, live and let live. Oh, I thought you were going to say live in La Vida Loca, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of a fun thing to do, too, on the weekends. But uh, he's um, he's an interesting candidate because he is so, he fits that Republican mold of convincing people to believe things they don't really believe. Right. Um, and that's uh, that's like one of the more dangerous parts of the Republican Party over mm-hmm. history. And it's one of the more exciting parts of Republican Party over history. Correct. Over modern I, history. I think, correct me if I am wrong, uh, but uh, Rand Paul's foreign policy would look more similar to Obama's foreign policy than Hillary Clinton's foreign policy or than Ted Cruz's foreign policy by far. He would be... He would he would be when people say Obama leads from behind, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but basically, it is a uh, that's how his presidency, foreign policy wise, would be perceived, don't you think? Absolutely. If Rand Paul took the uh, Absolutely. took office, Absolutely. and you know, to to take it to your uh, earlier question, um, there's like an incredible viral clip circulating online right now from uh, uh, Ted Cruz from some conference over the weekend, and. Uh, where he, a three-year-old, innocuously asks him a question. He says something to the extent of, the world is on fire, darling. And she looks at him stupefied. Like, he doesn't, he completely misunderstands that it was inappropriate to answer the question like that. And yeah. she's, like, terrified, if not completely uh, appalled. And, you know, this is a guy who believes the world is on fire, which it may be, but he believes that the answer isn't to put it, you know, to, to wash it over with water. The answer is to... You know, throw more gasoline in there, better gasoline, gasoline that can somehow fuel our fire. Yeah, yeah. What do you think Ted Cruz's chances are actually um, are of actually going fairly far in the primary process and actually getting the nomination? 
I mean, I I don't think they're very good. I think he's one of these guys who could run just to, you know. I mean, he's definitely going to run, don't you think? I think he'll probably yeah. run. You know, Mike Huckabee, who never had a shot in hell, he won the Iowa caucuses in 2008. So did Rick Santorum. Right. He won in 2012. I mean, he's one of these guys who will get in, could somehow pull off Iowa, which people somehow still think is like an important event, even though these uh, very uh, fringe people have been winning in recent election cycles, right. and then we'll never hear. We won't hear from him on presidential issues, you know, for another four or eight years. Yeah. So what do we got? I mean, what states do these people actually have to compete for? Right? New Hampshire, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Vermont, um, Florida, obviously. South Carolina can be in play every now and again. So they're really only going after a handful of states, right? Um, I only, I just want to talk more about the Republicans because I feel like the Democrat we don't know it. We Hillary, right? Yeah, so it's that's Hillary. all. We have. Hillary. So I mean, if you're what Republican has the best possible chance of taking a state like Florida, you can get Florida. If you can get a state like North Carolina, you're set. You're done. I mean, that's a great question. And if I had a crystal ball, I would you know I would I would be the richest man not only in the room, not only in the bar. I mean, I, I'd be a rich man. Um. I mean, I think the message that's going to resonate among the Republican Party as it exists in 2015 is Scott Walker. I'm going to take on the unions. I'm going to take on Hmm. the liberals. um, And I'm going to beef up on foreign policy. And I'm going to tell you that I don't believe in evolution, even though I secretly do. Which I can't. I mean, say the for guy sure definitely does. has to believe in evolution. He's like the third dude, uh, third dude on the chart. He looks, <laughs> he looks ridiculous. I'm serious. You know, physical features. We haven't mentioned Chris Christie yet, uh, but now that I mention, now that I think of dif- uh, deformities, um, I'm thinking of him. But uh, the 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 physical attributes that a president has to have. We haven't had an ugly president since '60, right? Right, and we haven't had a president who hasn't graduated college since around the same time. Also, and Scott Walker possibly did not graduate college. Is that correct? He definitely didn't. And I've got a lot of friends who haven't graduated college, and I'm totally like that's you can do a lot of things with your life, right? But I also believe that being president probably isn't one of those things. Yeah, yeah. The last president to not graduate from college was Truman, I think. Right, and yeah. uh, he was. It was. I think it was the 50, 40s or 50s. It was. Like yeah. still acceptable to quit college, you know. I mean, he, and he, I think he left college to join the army or something. Mm-hmm. Truman left college to join the army, and uh, but Scott, uh, Scott Walker left college to take a job. Or I mean, that's the best case scenario. A lot. Of, it's been investigated quite a bit. No one's found any kind of like. But he said that he had graduated college, right? I'm, I'm not totally sure. Um, I know that he's he's uh, he's uh, in recent weeks admitted to being a few credits shy and said that he eventually <laughs> took a took a job because that was he was offered a job and then he right. said you know I would I'd go back and later and then he got married he had kids you know it's a quote you know quote unquote life got in the way type situation right right but um, is this is this a good thing for his narrative if you're if you're the Scott Walker campaign do you swing this as if I'm the everyman every single politician pretends to be obviously they're not the everyman because they are running for a very high office and they have a lot um, more power underneath them than the everyman does but can you swing this as if to make him more relatable to those to the people in in I mean obviously Vermont's not going to go for him but in like South Carolina in those sort of purplish states I think it's gold I think it's gold in his pocket you know, I think he couldn't help. He couldn't hope for a better situation for himself to be a smart, accomplished guy, who's nevertheless not graduated college, and he can right. identify with people in the party who are educated, the established Republicans, and he can identify with uh, other elements of the party, uh, you know, more working class elements of the party um, 
who uh, you know belong to the Republican Party more so of social issues. Are there any you know obviously you uh, you cover this thing these things on a daily basis. Are there any future scandals that you can see coming up on the horizon, like the Scott Walker? Uh, if it does come out that he's um, discussed having his college diploma, which I believe that he has on video, if that comes out, turns out he doesn't. That would be a scandal. Is there anything else out there with any of the candidates that you can see that might derail uh, a campaign? So, I mean, who knows what can derail a campaign these days, but uh, with this email situation in the forefront right now, I think we're going to see everyone else's emails uh, examined. Okay. And uh, the Republicans shouldn't be so loudmouthed about this issue. Scott Walker was under a state investigation for two plus years in Wisconsin Mm -hmm. for going out of his way to set up personal accounts for his entire office, which were thought, even though the investigation uh, has since been closed, to be used for nefarious purposes. Jeb Bush came out a couple of days ago, also did something similar while he was governor of Florida. I think you'll see a lot of kind of mixed personal business issues out in the forefront. Um, Anything to derail? I mean, Marco Rubio uh, reportedly has some pretty lousy finances. He's he's invested in a bunch of houses with another Florida state politician, and a okay. bunch, uh, he's a landlord on a bunch of properties that have like really been messed up. So he's a slumlord. He's, I mean, uh, you, yeah, I mean, reportedly. No, that's great. Yeah. That's a good political ad right there. Just get the people who uh, have been paying them rent and uh, they go through their apartment and how everything is terrible. That resonates amazingly with the American people who are living in terrible apartments, who hate their landlord. If you can make the guy look like the landlord that you hate, that's a pretty big diss. <laughs> right. And, you know, and if we're lucky, we'll see some action out of Jim Webb's uh, romance novels. And Oh, my God. There's no But telling. that's not going to derail him. I think those romance <laughs> novels. Hey, man, Fifty Shades of Grey is gigantic. It's huge. People love it's huge. the same stuff. You, you joked about the Jimmy Fallon thing, but in my opinion, that would be Jim Webb's playing the saxophone on Arsenio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, if Jim so Webb, if he if he owns the fact that he wrote some very good sexual fiction, <laughs> I got no problem with that. that I, that's fine. I got a question about a candidate. I'm going to ask you yes or no, but I, I want you to say yes. Is Rick Perry coming back? Oh, my God. Yes. Yes? You he think is. he is? Yes, I do think he is. His biggest thing in, 2000, uh, in 2012 was taking those back pills the night before the debate. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> I've got four points. The first one is the this. Three, yeah. The second point is this. And then I can't remember the other two. <laughs> well, I mean, it, was, it just came at the worst time discussing the things he was going to The three I, things. Yeah. yeah. You know, so he'll, he'll know not to take pain medication the night of a debate. Right. And the second thing was his, por- his foreign policy chops which were uh, non-existent a couple of years ago and he's since he's traveled a lot he's studied a lot he's memorized a lot of really significant lines which is yes. all you have to do these days he hired one of the most successful uh, theater uh, teachers in in Texas and in the mm. world so he knows a lot more about the theatrics of it and he, he courted he actually courted the mentorship of Henry Kissinger uh, really? unsuccessfully Henry Kissinger <laughs> since oh. <laughs> I don't want to speak with this oh. buffoon oh man <laughs> poor guy yeah uh, Henry Kissinger decided, uh, according to a bunch of reports, to to take on Chris Christie as a disciple. But uh, Rick Perry, I think uh, he's a sleeper guy who yeah. uh, we haven't heard a lot about and uh, is seized to benefit from other people's mistakes. Yeah, sure. Boy, if, if, the gay, if a gay scandal comes up for anyone, it's going to be Rick Perry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. have you heard of this? I, I have mean, heard of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that, this guy, it's been rumors for decades mm-hmm. this guy's gay. So it, it's very possible that that could explode. I mean, I think it's great. The guy knows how to pick a belt buckle. And, <laughs> he does. Uh, yeah. 
Texans know how to accessorize. Yeah. They dress oh, amazingly they well. Oh, man, amazing we've talked life. about this before. I yeah. come from a rural town. Uh, in fact, the, the same county that Rick Perry's from. No kidding. Uh, and, man, cowboys know how to accessorize. That's true, man. They're very fancy. They they've got scarves. They've got the fancy leather shirts, leather boots. They have those boots custom made, by That's the way. That's incredible. So, uh, going back to Chris Christie, we haven't heard his name recently. Obviously, Bridgegate was a big uh, was a big scandal. There's a mayor who didn't vote for him. He shut down two lanes, or his aides shut down two lanes of a highway that went into New York City, caused three days of congestion, and uh, people were really upset. Ever since then, we haven't really heard that much. A lot of the people on the far right don't like him because he was friends with Obama during Hurricane uh, Sandy, which a lot of people, moderates, loved that he came out and was you know put politics aside. I mean, you never put politics aside, but chose to do uh, make this political maneuver as a as opposed to isolating himself and. You know, if you're Chris Christie and you are seen walking alone on the beach, that's sad. <laughs> you know, you, you, if you're if, you, if you're Christie and you're on a beach and you're walking alone, you better have a bottle of uh, you know Cutter Shark or whatever, uh, you know, some whiskey in your hand, and you better be crying. Or a that's couple the only racks thing. of ribs. Oh, or a couple <laughs> racks of ribs. I mean, either way. So, uh, do you think he's going to make a resurgence after these scandals and have those scandals died down? Because we, you know, we've heard about him for so long now. I do. I, I mean, I, I I agree with you that you know I, I'm rooting in in a certain sense I'm rooting. For him. I thought he was incredible when he burst onto the scene, but his national political career, as far as I'm concerned, is over. Why? Um, you know, it's not Bridgegate. It's not the attitude. It's the fact that New Jersey state is on the verge of a debt default. You just can't run as a Republican against so many other worthy candidates in their party. Um, when on a record of economic success, when your schools are in shambles, your economy is in shambles, and you're literally on the verge of a debt downgrade. Yeah, but mm. Scott Walker's facing the exact same thing right now. Well, you know, the thing about Scott Walker is that there are facts on both sides that tell different stories. Okay. It just depends which facts you cling to. Um, Scott Walker, there's enough information there for him to like at least tell his own audience that the economy has improved under his leadership. Um, and there's plenty of facts on the other side of the aisle in Wisconsin that say he's run it into the ground. Well, I've, I read a story uh, yesterday that that he's about to because of tax cuts. He's about to they're about to default on a debt. They are about to default on a debt, but there's a it's it's a little bit into the woods. But there's a peculiar law on the books in Wisconsin that allows you to account for your state budget in some unorthodox ways, which essentially allows him to disregard that fact. Okay. So he's able to legally and in good integrity say that that's not the case. But in New Jersey, where there's kind of stricter laws, it's a bunch of people commuting into Wall Street every day mm -hmm. who like, really know how to read a financial book. Um, people on both sides of the aisle are saying the New, Jer New Jersey economy is effed for a while. Mm. So I, I think that right. is what's sinking Chris Christie. And uh, boy, you know, he's just he hasn't done himself any favors in these past couple of years. I mean, he was hot. Right. He should have ran in 2012. I think if you're Chris Christie, you're uh, shaking hands with uh, Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush and saying, consider me for your attorney general. Yeah. yeah. So he really, I mean, there was a, a large uh, group of people who, who fully supported him running for the presidency and uh, who were diehard believers that he would win. In 2012? In 2012 and in 2016, as of about two years ago. Right. I mean, right before Bridgegate, he was an inspiring guy. And What are some of the policies that actually that he put in place in Jersey that can be tied directly back to the failing economy? I mean, I'm no scholar of New Jersey politics, um, but I know that he's attempted to cut taxes with the current 
burden of spending that a state like New Jersey has. Mm-hmm. And that's just, uh, you just can't do that in a state like New Jersey or New York or Connecticut without making the appropriate cuts in spending. Right, right. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up. Final predictions. I'm going to say it's going to be Mark Warner. <laughs> he is going to be going against um, the letter that was sent to the Ayatollah Khomeini. That the letter, the letter is running for the presidency, and I can't wait to see it in the debates. I love it. I'm going to say Hillary Warren in a first all-female ticket losing narrowly to Bush Rubio on a first ticket where both of the men speak Spanish fluently. Wow. Awesome. I'm going to say Perry Santorum. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have different motivations, Marcus. Yeah, versus Elizabeth Warning, Warren and Bernie Sanders. Nice. Yeah, oh, we're wow. going to go the furthest right and the furthest left and bring them together. I love well, it. Well, possibly Michelle Bachman Santorum. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, she might, be in, she might be going to jail. Who knows? Um, her, her prayer, her, uh, Marcus's pray the uh, gay away clinic got a little bit in trouble. <laughs> oh, it's, did it now? Turns out it's not really a medical thing. Uh, <laughs> but she's and, going to be in Sharknado three. Is so, she? You know, if, if this whole politics thing doesn't work out for her, she might have a future in Hollywood. Oh, I, I hope if if I can see Michelle Bachman getting eat by getting eaten by a wild animal in every single movie, I will be the happiest man on <laughs> earth. I will see Michelle Bachman getting eaten by everything. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Um, all right. Thank you so much for being here, Adam. You're on Twitter? Yes, uh, at A.B. Edelman. That is my Twitter handle. It is non-exciting, but very substantial, just like me. It's perfect. <laughs> uh, of course, that's at Marcus Parks on Twitter. I'm at Ben Kissel. Keep on supporting all the shows here on CCR, and we'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.